0: Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message, brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. All right. Yay. We good. Lovely stuff. Uh, just love the, the testimonies, and we'll take some time over the next few weeks just to hear about some of the testimonies coming out of the treasure hunt and the visit to Baragwanath Hospital. I think it was just over fifty people went treasure hunting. Over thirty-five went to the hospitals, and ears opened, eyesight being restored, um, pain leaving. Just uh, wonderful, wonderful um, interventions of the Lord. Salvations, yay! This is good. These are good days. You now we're living in the days of wonder. Yeah, and, and so for us to have an expectation, anticipation that God is going to meet with us in fresh ways, new ways, powerful ways, just hearing of people in times of worship here, just encountering the love of Father like they'd never encountered before, just lives being changed, transformed just in our times of worship, healing being released into bodies just in, in worship, nobody touching, laying hands, these are the days we're in. The days of his power, the days of his working. These are wonderful, wonderful. Just the Lord setting people free from addictions. Come on. Come on. You know, when addictions devastate a family, you know, it's traumatic. And to watch the Lord turn things around in a matter of days is just like mind-blowing. Yeah, Something that could not happen through counseling and through sort of human processes the Lord does with a supernatural deliverance. Yay. Come on. Yay All right, so what I want to talk uh, about this morning is this whole thing of love in action. Yeah? We love our moms. Yes, we love our wives, we love what God is doing. But love is not just an emotion or a feeling. Love needs to be translated into action. And uh, so what I'd like for us to do is to go to the love chapter in the Bible. Anybody think where that might be? (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to say. Yeah. All right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I tell you what, we're going to have a run at chapter 13 from chapter 12. How's that? Now, you probably know this, but just in case um, this person sitting next to you wasn't paying attention when I shared it last time, I'm just going to say it again for their benefit. Uh, When Paul was writing his letters, he didn't write them with chapter headings. Or paragraph headings. That, those, by the way, do not exist in the original language. They're not in the manuscripts. Those headings that you see, yeah. the translators have added them in. They're not there. Now, sometimes they can be helpful, and sometimes they can like, lead us in a direction that the translators want us to go, but it might not be actually what the Scripture is wanting us to, to receive. Okay, so... We, Paragraph, headings, whatever, ignore. They're not in the original. Chapters and verses also weren't in the original. It was just one long letter. But in order for us to refer to segments in the scriptures, uh, a monk, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, put in the, the chapter divisions and the verses. Legend has it that because it took such a long time, some of what he did was he was actually doing it when he was in a carriage or on horseback or something, and and his pen just like hit the manuscript at some places in the wrong place. And then, like, because you get a verse, like halfway through a verse, it'll suddenly switch, you know, the next verse, and but the thought continues. No, that's just legend. Don't worry about that. (laughs) But you've noticed sometimes that the translation when moving from the greek to the english or the hebrew to the english sometimes in the middle of a sentence you get a verse number change all right and so the the more that people have been able to to study the as scholars are, are far better at translating that's why what was done in the original divisions between the chapters and the verses are far better translated now and that's why we get a verse that might cross over one or two you know, verse breaks. Does it make sense? And, and so, chapter 12 runs through chapter 13, runs through chapter 14. It, it's actually one subject that Paul is addressing, and he's coming at it from a number of different angles. In fact, he picks it up really from chapter 11. You know, this is the amazing revelation that chapter 11 followed by chapter 12, by 13 and 14. It's a massive revelation, you know. Like 13 is in between chapters 12 and 14. This is like phenomenal revelation. Yeah. If we didn't have the the chapter breaks, we would just see, oh, this is like one long letter and there's a flow, there's a connection of thought here. But because sometimes we come to the scriptures and we're trying to figure it out, almost as though it was a textbook, only to discover it wasn't written like a textbook. You know, and so we kind of think, "Well, it, you know, like, come on, Paul, help us out here." You're know, like when he wrote to the Romans, it was like line upon line upon line. You know, he was building his case, his argument. He was making a case, a theological case. And so we come to the Corinthians and we think like, okay, dude, same again. Well, I mean, it's the next book, right? No, no, the books were written in different sequences. I know they've been put together like this, but they were dated differently, writing to different audiences with a very different purpose. And And so we come to Corinthians, and we think, "Oh well, you know help us out now. we're trying to learn about the things of the spirit, spiritual things, like just like put it out like point one point two point three, and he doesn't write it that way, because he's not a Greek, he's a Hebrew. So he has Hebrew thinking because he's a Hebrew scholar, a Hebrew chap, and he's grown up steeped in that culture, that way of thinking which embraces and holds all things together, whereas Greek thought is linear and logical. And when you go to the scriptures, even though it's written in Greek, but you don't have a Hebrew grasp, you're going to try and decode everything as though it was written like a textbook. And you're going to come and stuck. I mean, especially when you get to something like Revelation. And you think, oh, well, chapter 1 goes right through to chapter 22, you know, like it's all logical and in sequence, only to discover that actually it's circular. It's cyclical. There are a number of cycles. Otherwise you've got a problem because Jesus only gets born in about chapter 12 or 13. The woman will give birth and the dragon is there trying to kill the child that's born. What's that talking about? It's not something in the future. It's talking about the original birth of Jesus. And Herod killed all the kids two years and under. Oh my goodness. It's not in one continuous chronological sequence. And if you, if you try and approach the book of Revelation from a Greek mindset, you're going to come and stuck. So we understand that there's this cyclical thing. I mean, it starts in the book of Genesis. I mean, how many creations are there? Is it chapter one or is it chapter two? How many Adams do you want? You want the Adam's family or what? In other words, it comes back and it comes back again and it comes back again. Alright? Similarly, here in Corinthians. Paul, he's coming at it from this angle and then he he has another go and then he comes from another angle and has another go. And it's that we might understand the things from the spiritual realm and he starts out in chapter 12 and he says, now listen, boys and girls. He doesn't say boys and girls. He says brothers. We add in brothers and sisters but you know what, we're all sons of God. And if you want to Okay, Because the Hebrew understanding, the pinnacle was to be a son. And so everybody is elevated to the level of sonship. If you misunderstand it, you go all woke on the thing, and you're kind of like, oh, we've got to be all brothers and sisters. That diminishes actually what Jesus came to do. He came to upgrade everyone. So... mm. We're all in, and we all get the upgrade. Yeah? Okay. So he said, now listen, people of God, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things. And I mean, this is church. is nuts in terms of things of the Spirit. These guys are so, like, open to the things of the Spirit. This is not like a bunch of chosen frozen who just sit quietly in church. Now, these guys are going for it flat out all the time. He says, listen, chaps, you are going in the language of the Spirit, like 10,000 words, but nothing is actually being... um, There's not the interpretation that's coming with it, so there's nothing intelligible. He said, rather you have a few words that are intelligible than 10,000 that aren't. He's not saying don't do this stuff. He's saying, listen... God's a God of order. Everything must be done decently and in order. And while you think you're so super spiritual and you're going for hours in the language of the Spirit, actually this is just chaos. Maybe we should try a meeting where we just pray in the Spirit for a few hours. Let me try this bunch over here. I mean, this is the church in Corinth. They're going flat out in the things of the Spirit. Paul's not trying to dumb it down. He's not trying to say, hey, we mustn't do this. He said, we must do these things, but let's do it decently and in order. So they were operating in the gifts of the Spirit, operating in these spiritual things. okay. And he's saying, listen, I don't you want you to be ignorant. And they kind of thought, they were like, Whoa, we're on the top of the pile here. So you know he's trying to bring some direction and some order into all of this. And he said, "Listen, don't be ignorant about these things. The Holy Spirit is, is, you know, giving these gifts, and He's giving it in the context of the family, the body. So the body. And then He goes to this whole thing about the body, and and some is the eye, and some is the ear, and the foot, and the hand, and like you can't say, well, because I'm not a foot, you know, you have no uh, part of the body or the hand. Well, I'm more important, and it's got nothing to do." With status or importance, when you're in the body, you're important. It's not your function that causes you to be more elevated in importance or status as opposed to a different function. We're all in this together. Yeah? Listen, some of us have been tasked with standing on a platform and speaking a lot. Sometimes people hope that it would be less than more. <laughs> but standing on a platform speaking doesn't make that person more important than someone else who's part of the family. So the kingdom doesn't work the way the world works. The world tries to put everything on a, on a hierarchical basis and put people on a pedestal and worship some kind of a hero. Well, I call them an idol. Maybe even have a show called. That's the world way, but not the kingdom. The kingdom is like, hey, think of yourself accurately, not more highly than you ought. Conversely, every one of us should not think more lowly of ourselves either. Well, I'm just a, no, no, what do you mean you're just a? You're a child of the king. It makes you royalty. Royalty. Come on, man. Yeah, you're precious. You're special. Whether you've got a microphone or you don't have a microphone, you're precious. You're special. Does it make sense? See, the ways of the kingdom are completely different to the ways of this world. So Paul is writing to these guys. He's trying to help them. And, um, and and they keep getting confused, a bunch of things. And he, then he eventually gets to the end of, of chapter 12, where I hope you are now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31. It says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. So as we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, there's a way that is excellent. This is the way in which we should be moving in the gifts of the Spirit, supernatural things. Then he goes to what we now have, chapter 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains... But I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's just pause there. Give my give my body over to hardship. Elsewhere it's translated, give my body up to the flames. In other words, for persecution, for you know being absolutely you know spent. If whatever you do isn't motivated, isn't infused, doesn't come from the place of love and doesn't show and demonstrate his love more fully, it's just a clanging symbol. And you think, like, man, I'm even giving myself as a, you know, like I'm being persecuted even to the point of death, but if you're doing it for performance not out of love profits you nothing. If you give your last five Rand coin to the person begging on the side of the street, if you're doing your that act of kindness in order that you might feel better about yourself. You've wasted your five rands, in a sense. I'm sure the person's happy to have the five rand, but what you thought you were doing and what actually happened, heaven evaluates and says two different things. Okay? Now, the context here of chapter 13 is the context of chapter 12 and chapter 14. And the whole point is about operating in spiritual gifts. In other words, he's drawing a, a thread through the moving and the operating in the things of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. And he's saying, if you have tongues and interpretation, if you have the most amazing prophecies, But it's not coming from love, love for God and love for people. It's as though it was useless. So we're going after, he says, eagerly desire these spiritual things. But now I'm going to show you the excellent way in which you're pursuing after these things. So there's an eagerness there's an intention about this thing, but we're doing it from the place of love, not from the place of, I want to be seen. I want to be famous. I want people to know just how spiritual I am. Yeah? I want people to kind of be absolutely wowed and amazed at the anointing on my life. Yeah? You know, I want to be one of those who can cruise six inches off the ground, <laughs> like have a halo, all this kind of stuff. No, the whole context here is let everything be done in, with, and through love. And the things of the Spirit, the excellent way is love. Love is not just an emotion. Love is not just something that we feel from the Father in full acceptance, knowing that we are loved. We love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. All these beautiful love scriptures, they need to translate into some action. It's not just, hey, I have love so that I can just feel, ooh, nice and mushy and cushy. <laughs> love needs to translate into some kind of action, and that action is a supernatural action. But love is the thing that absolutely envelops, surrounds, infuses, saturates everything that we do in and by and through the Spirit. It's because love is at the core. Are we okay with this? All right. So then we carry on now in, in verse four. And you know, it said there in verse one tongues of men and angels, verse two, prophecy, feathering, fathoming, or mysteries, you know, all these kind of like revelations, all right, all these major things as we step into maturity and the things of the spirit, as you are stepping into these things. And you're doing it in and through love, what does that look like? What will prophecy that is infused with love, what will that look like? What will revelation that you receive by the Spirit, what will that look like if it's infused with love? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. Are your prophecies kind, or their prophecies patient? It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Any prophetic word, any revelation must be dripping with these aspects of love. For it to be a true word, it must have these things. Okay, now we've looked for the last number of weeks, it's probably felt like months and years. But we've looked at what are some of the ways in which we can weigh, we can judge, we can test prophetic words. Remember that? Don't make me do it again. (laughs) So we know that there's a bunch of things that the Lord has given to us in terms of knowing what is right, what is genuine. All right? Okay? And so sometimes we learn how not to do things, and sometimes we learn how to do things. So, the how not to, we've covered that. The how to, bingo. Love. So, let your words be so filled and saturated with love God's love and your love for one another. That the word comes and people feel, oh, I just feel God's love. I feel his presence. I feel his goodness. I feel his mercy. I feel his grace. I feel his forgiveness. I feel his hope. I feel his compassion. I feel the very essence and the nature of God that's coming through this word. Because it's been infused, soaked, saturated, marinated in love. So our words to one another and our words to the world need to be spiced, if you like, need to be filled. The taste that people must be left with was "Mm, love, tastes like love. Even if it's a difficult word, but "Mm." you know, I just feel so much love in this. Because it's bringing correction. It's, it's like, whoa, don't fall in the ditch. Here's the road. Let me help you get on the road. And if it's coming with love, it's accepted and acceptable. If the word is like only concentrating on the ditch and the donga, and condemnation for even contemplating going into the ditch of the donga, it's like everybody feels condemned. There's no life in that. It's, it's, it steals hope, becomes hopeless but a word that's concentrating on His promise and His restoration and His goodness and His kindness. Come on, we've seen it all throughout the Old Testament passages, the prophetic passages. Even when the Lord said, listen, boys and girls, you've been naughty, and I've told you and I've warned you and I've called you and I've urged you you, and I've done it again and again and again and again. Now, I'll tell you what's going to happen is we're going to have a little operation to get the muck off you so that I can restore you. Now this operation of getting the muck off you might take about 70 years. And it might feel like I'm actually chastising you. But actually what I'm doing is I'm rebuilding you so that you can come out better on the other side. So let me tell you about how it's going to be on the other side. I'm going to restore you double. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and it's going to be revival. There's all these amazing things. So I'm like, listen, We're going to go through the cleansing process, but it's in order. And he always puts the emphasis on the restoration. Yeah? So we're going through through some challenging times in the world right now. We've got this tension we live in. Jesus said the kingdom has come, but it hasn't fully come. So we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. He says, boys and girls... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so now off you go, do the stuff. But he's reigning and he's waiting until all his enemies are under his feet. So what is it? It's both. It's the now and the not yet. Only fully and finally at his second coming, death defeated, the enemy completely sorted out. Woohoo, heaven on earth. But we're living now in the taste, the foretaste of heaven, the age to come. We've tasted of the age to come. Mm-hmm. So we live in this amazing hope, even though we, we're wrestling and we've got all these challenges and things, but we live with the immense promise, the hope that he's given to us. Hey, we're made for heaven. In fact, I'm already qualifying you for heaven. So i tell you what, let's say you have eternal life, boom, right now. But I'm still in this physical body, it's not a problem. The moment you put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus, you're born again, born from above. Eternal life begins for you. Though you might breathe out your last breath in this body, you will continue to live. That's eternal life. So I'm actually giving it to you now. You're going to step into the fullness. I'm giving you all these promises so that you know. I'm giving you the deposit, guaranteeing that you're going to have the real deal. This is awesome. So we, while we live in the struggle of the now and the not yet, but we know, my goodness, glory. Hallelujah. Okay? Okay? Always the words are coming, the way we live our lives, we're living with a sense of hope, expectation, glory, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. So our words must have that flavor to it. He's the God of hope. He's not the God of hopelessness. He's the God of hope. Yeah? Oh, so funny. Got some feedback. One of the connect groups. Amazing. James had just been preaching my notes. I lent him my notes on hope. You know, he was like, oh, kidding. man, Just relax. James preaches on hope. Yes? Yeah. We'd just been preaching on hope two weeks before that. Yes. All right. So what do you think God's trying to get our attention? That would be yes. Yeah? Send somebody all the way from another country to say, guys... You become captives to this thing of hope. So in the connect group, everyone, there's one particular, maybe not your connect group, but this other one, are so taken up with load shedding and the, the, the devastating effects that it's having on business and families and the hardship and the difficulty, and it drains all of the hope out of the room and instead of focusing on the message of hope they focused on the situation which causes hopelessness it's kind of like "Mm." so do you think that the Lord sent the message on hope for a reason and he sent it again so I probably will preach on hope again next week There was a guy in South America many decades ago. His name is John Carlos Ortiz. And he preached. The next week he preached the same message. Congregation kind of like, okay. Third week, same message. Same scriptures, same references, everything. It was like the fourth week the elders call him aside. Um, we know, you know, Ministry is hard and tough and all the rest of it, but like four weeks in a row, like you don't have time to prepare a message and what's going on. He said, Until we get the message and until we start living the message, I'm going to keep preaching the same message until we get it. I think he only preached that message for about six months. And then they got it. That's courage, eh? Yeah. Sure, that's courage. It's like okay. So the Lord's speaking to us about hope because He's the God of hope. And we check all the stuff going on in the country, and we've got you know all kinds of military, naval ships paying us a visit, and you know we got ambassadors doing this, that, and the next thing. Uh, 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 we've got Iran tanking and it's like oh what's going to happen and we can become fearf- fearful and hopeless what's the Lord saying to us don't look at that stuff look at me everything that can be shaken will be shaken like I mean he told us this a few years ago it's like was he kidding no he was giving us the heads up so that when the shaking was taking place we wouldn't be shaken like Hey, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we don't need to be shaken even though we go through it. We're going to go through it. It's going to be okay. We're going to survive. Yeah? So prophetic words give hope. Filled with love, patience, kindness, goodness. All these amazing things, the fruit of the Spirit, the very essence of God, our words have that. Okay. And then he says, now listen, pointing to the end, to the glory, he said there'll come a time when he has returned and we won't need prophetic words anymore. Why? Because perfection has come. Perfection will only come at the second coming. So he says, now listen, we're in an imperfect place. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but we will be fully known. When I was a kid, I did the things of a kid. But there will come a time when I'll be all grown up, fully mature, grown into the fullness of of the statue of Christ. We'll be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye when he returns. This is amazing. So until then let's prophesy. Why? Because prophecy points us towards the king and his victories. And it points us to how we can grow into this fullness in him. How we can mature. How we can grow up. He says come on kids, it's time to grow up. Let's have a growth spurt. So prophetic words are pulling us towards glory. He's not saying, listen, hey, when perfection comes, meaning when the canon of the scripture is closed around the year 400, then because the law of the Lord is perfect, therefore we have the word, then we have perfection, then prophecies will cease. Um we got a problem with that logic why because the law of the of the of the lord was the old covenant and that was given long before the new testament so now we want to take new testament scriptures and smash it with an old testament concept of the law and say the law of the lord is perfect so now perfection comes when we have Grace, the New Testament, and law, and we smash it together in the Old Testament, the New Testament, call it the Bible, close it up, call it the canon of Scripture, therefore perfection has come, therefore we don't need any prophecies. Well, you know, and we lead up to the day of Pentecost, which is uh, later this month, hallelujah, we remember that, but in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, see, what's happening is like the Holy Spirit's been poured out and and people are speaking in tongues and the guys are kind of, what's going on? Because people came from 13 different regions of the known world and they say, we hear these guys speaking of the wonders of God in our own language. How is this possible? Well, it was an earthly language that these guys had not learned, but they were given it by the Spirit. That's why in verse one, he says, whether I speak with the tongue of men or of angels. So tongues could be an earthly language, tongue, but not learnt. Didn't come from the intellect, comes from the spirit. It's by the spirit. It's supernatural. How can you speak in this language? I don't know. I never learnt it. It's a gift by the spirit. So it's supernatural. Or if it's a heavenly language, language of angels. So tongues can be both a known language on earth but foreign to the speaker. Or it could be a heavenly language, language in the spirit, angelic language. All right? So, um, momentarily lost my spot there. Daryl, where was I? <laughs> Tongues, men, and angels. Prophecy. Go. Boom. Acts chapter 2. Pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Okay? It says, Holy Spirit, These guys speaking in tongues, other languages, how is this possible? Sons and daughters will prophesy. He says, this is that. In the last days. So we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since the day of Pentecost. He says, this is that. In the last days. There we go. It's begun. All right? And as you do all this kind of stuff, all right, your sons and daughters will prophesy, meaning they will hear God's voice and they will speak what he's saying. Okay? And in verse 38... When the people are saying, like, what are we supposed to do to this message? He says to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So it's for you and your kids and for all the generations You are far off whom the Lord will call. Are you a called one? We're called. We're called to salvation. We're called to faith. We are called ones. We are many generations down from the day of Pentecost. And the promise is for all those whom the Lord will call. In other words, the promise, this gift of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, tongues, the language of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, is not to stop after 400 years but it's for all until He returns. Yay, yay, yay. Holy Spirit given, not just so we can have a wonderful experience. Wonderful experience, yay. Thank you, Lord, for that. But it's that we might be empowered from on high to be His witnesses, to move in the things of the Spirit and to operate in the gifts of the Spirit That demonstrate his love more fully. Because we need to be living love in action. And it's his love which is a supernatural love. It's not just our love. It's a supernatural love that enables us and empowers us to reveal his heart more effectively in this world. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So the way of love, that's what we call to And in South Africa, we know, we don't just have the big five, we have the big three. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Faith, stay in faith, keep believing, trust in Him. Hope, come on, I'm preaching to you again on hope if you don't get it. And love. All right? As we live and move in the things both natural and supernatural, it's love and it's carried in by these things. Faith, hope, and love. Come on. Yay, Pentecost. Yay, Holy Spirit. Yay. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Would you stand? Now, I'm just going to pray over us using Romans 15. You know it. But just receive it. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May he make his face To shine upon you. May the light of his countenance so illuminate your path that darkness flees. May the prince of peace so flood and fill your heart and your mind that you are carried and cocooned in peace. And may his love so ooze, permeate, saturate, marinate every part of your thinking, your feeling, your doing, that love not only wins, but love flows to everyone around you. May the goodness of God be your portion this week. May everything that you have need of, wisdom, insight, strategy, resource, ability, may it be released to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, 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 amen. Bless you.